0: and welcome to the Southwood Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now here's serve Pastor Elliot Higgins with this week's sermon. We are the church. The body of Christ. A people of every nation. Tribe and language. We are one. 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 Jesus prayed that we would be one, one. one. saw so a world divided, could see a people united, one in him, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, one, one. 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 I'm Pastor Elliot. I'm the serve pastor here at Southcliff. It is a delight to be with you this morning. You see that passage that we're quoting from Ephesians where Paul is writing the church, the people of God, the same people that are here. He's writing them at that time, but it echoes even to, into our presence today. He's addressing the body, the church, the people of God. And he's reminding them through this letter that there is a one nature, a unity in a world of division. And so God is reminding us of this truth even today. So I'm continuing in a series titled One. We've seen one spirit, one Lord, one Father, one hope. Today we come to one baptism. And all of these things, this emphasis on one, is drawing our attention of believers back to a unity, a oneness with God. There is a strength that even in a dark in, in world that is full of despair and hopelessness, that there is a strength because of God. And today, God brought you here. Logging in, in person, doesn't matter. and You may come back and watch this later after the fact, but God brought you here to this text today to speak this strength, this one, into your life. One. A oneness, a unity in a world divided. The text that we're going to be working through, actually, we're going to find in Romans chapter 6. So you can begin turning in Romans chapter 6. We'll be in verses 1 through 4. Now, I'm jumping over to Romans from Ephesians because Ephesians is just telling us there is one baptism. There is a unity there. But what is it? What is this baptism? Why does it bring a unity and a strength and a power? What is that? We're going to find that truth in Romans today. Now, as we continue, I wanted to say a couple of things. The first, this text really spoke to me as I was studying through this. And it spoke to me as one of those things that that God was revealing a truth to me, a truth that I've always known, but yet from a different angle this time. And I believe that's what God has in store for you as well see, about a month ago, my wife and I, we were excited, we were announcing we're having our our second baby, we were thrilled about that, we went to the doctors, began all the appointments that you go through, and the doctor, when it came time to do some checks, they said, you know what, there are some healthy things that we see, and there's some issues, don't be concerned about it right now, we're going to run some more tests, but we're not quite confident, so hang with us. So we began to do several more tests over the course of the next several weeks the next one came back very negative they said but this this still is cause for concern but you could be in the clear so just hang with us we continued to pray and even began to fast and as time progressed they said you know what things are not looking good we want to get a second opinion we even got a second opinion and when it was all said and done they sat us down they said Elliot and Sarah you have lost your baby you've lost your little one we're sorry but that's what we have so Sarah and I began to, to really look through the promises of God. We, we didn't doubt God. We didn't question him. But the question that kind of came to my mind was, God, how are you going to redeem this? Whatever God allows, God redeems. And I began to look at this in, in through the lens of even this passage, that the world would look at me and Sarah, and even after the final procedure, we found out we were going to have a little girl. I I thought to myself, the world would look me in the eye and tell me that my little girl is worthless. Just a clump of cells, worthless. She didn't have a job. She didn't impact society. She hasn't accomplished anything. The only thing she's been able to do is have an emotional expense and a financial expense. That's the sum total. She is worthless. But I know that God says something entirely different. And he says that same thing about you and me and every person that has ever been created by the hand of God. And it's that truth that made me look at this text with a little different angle. We know that that God is good and he attributes worth, but when I tell you the story of my little girl and how the world would say that that there is a worthlessness, there, there is not something accomplished, God says, ah, that's incorrect. God is the one who brings a unity in a world that is divided. Somebody in here today, when I use the term worthless, you grab that word and you stick it to your shirt collar and you say, that's me. I'm about as worthless as they get. There may be one somebody who has that word that you're hanging on to. There may be somebody else in here who has just a short life and you're looking forward and you're saying, I have nothing to offer. There is nothing that I have contributed. I don't have the skills, the experience, the abilities. I don't have what God would want to use. There may be somebody here that's lived a long life. You're looking back over your shoulder and you're saying, I've wasted an awful lot of time. And I haven't really contributed to the things that really matter. And I've wasted my life. I can't be used There may be yet somebody else who has a hidden sin, even right now, that's so buried that not even another person alive even knows it exists in your life. I said that, it came straight to your mind the moment that I did. And you look at that and say, I'm disqualified from God using me because that exists. Nobody knows it, but God does and he would never use someone like me. If these are words that come to your mind, baloney, in the text before us today is we're going to see how God brings a unity, a strength with every sin, fear, failure. In public view or in private view, God redeems everything that he allows. In the text before us demonstrates that. You want a strength in a world of division. You want to be able to stand with strength in the power of the right hand of God, then look with me at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter six. Before we read it, I've got you hung, strung out here. You're like, let's read it, Elliot. Let's look at chapter five. Let me give you the context because when we're dealing with a book like Romans, it's not wise to just pick something out. There is a lot going on in Romans. So what Paul is doing when he's writing the people of God, just like I'm addressing you this morning, is he's putting two people on the pages of scripture and he's setting the context for our time together today. The first person he puts out is Adam. Now, Adam and Eve are the very first people who ever walked face to the earth. They're the first people that God created. Now, we know the story of Adam and Eve. God put them in the Garden of Eden, said, populate the earth, subdue it, have dominion, this is yours. Whatever you do, however, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you do, you will surely die. We know from history They ate it. Sin entered the world, and it has been inherited. We have it. We experience it. If you doubt that, wear a pair of shorts and walk out into the woods, and you're going to find poison ivy and thorns, and those will remind you of that truth if you don't want to believe it otherwise. But not only have we inherited this truth, but you and I have chosen to do the exact same thing. So he reveals this Adam character, this one person, and he says, this person, through him, Sin entered the world, and every person in it, and sin itself is dragging every person straight to the gates of hell. That's the reality. He's got that person there, but he doesn't leave with one. He puts the other one on the pages of Scripture, and that person is Jesus Christ. Just as sin entered the world with this first Adam and everybody partakes in it, grace enters the world through Jesus and anyone who puts their faith in him can partake in that. And so he says, here's the sin from man that's dragging us down and here's the grace of God, however, that is the counterbalance of that. That is the very thing that's pulling us from it, freeing us from the grip of sin for those who put their faith in In our Lord. So he's got these two people, and we're beginning to see how Jesus is offering grace in abundance to anyone, however much is necessary to redeem them, their life, their story, and to ensure their value and worth and productivity in the kingdom of God. That's where we come from, and then we begin to look at this concept of baptism in chapter 6. Remember this baptism, you'll see it on the pages, but this is what's bringing a strength, a unity to the people of God, just as I'm speaking to every person of God here, the Lord will speak this to our life. Look at this with me, if you will, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 4. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. There's our text this morning. Look with me, if you will, back to verse 1. He poses a question. When you're writing a letter, you can't really have the best of dialogue. So he has started in in chapter 5 saying God's grace covers every sin far and wide. Whatever level of sin you have committed, whether small or abundance, God's grace is sufficient to cover and redeem everything. Everything that you have done, everything you could ever do, God's grace covers it. But he follows with a question, thinking maybe the believers will push back and say, well, if God's grace covers all the sin I could ever do, and in our lives are testimonies of the abundance of God's grace, then this gives me a free pass to do anything that I want. God's grace will cover any sin that I choose to do. Well, Paul is saying, in essence, yes, God's grace will, will redeem any sin that you have done or will do, but your thinking is incorrect. You do not possess the ability to increase or decrease God's grace. God's grace exists in the hand of God. What you do or choose not to do, do does not impact the in number or the amount of God's grace. That is in the hand of the Lord. Everything that we're seeing, this unity comes from God, not you, not your own power or what you do or do not do. This comes from God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who die to sin still live in it. The word here that he's saying, you died to sin, you can't keep living in it. You've got to shift your thinking here. So, this concept of dying to sin, you cannot collect a debt from a dead person. You can't do it. Even today, with all of our technology, can't happen. You say, well, Elliot, I, you can. You can go after their estate. Yes, the estate, but not that person. You cannot collect a debt from that person, you collect it from somebody else from what they've left behind, but that person cannot pay you when they are dead and this is the concept here. Paul is reminding the believers that sin cannot stick because sin has been buried you your past, all of that has been killed with christ you can't satan cannot collect a sin debt on you it's been buried it's over we have died to sin we can't still live in it nobody can collect on this satan cannot collect on this you've died to sin verse three this is where we see baptism begin to come out and he uses this example do you not know That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. He's reminding us of this concept of death, that sin can't be, the debt there can't be collected because of what God has done on the cross. We have been, that word, baptized into Christ Jesus. This is the secret to this whole thing, is Christ Jesus and being baptized into him. The word baptized here means to immerse. To saturate to permeate to to go under, be covered by same word in other Greek writings would also be used to I- it explain that of a sinking ship water is on the inside and the outside it 's completely immersed, saturated. Listen, I, I want to make this one little declaration doesn 't matter what denomination you come from, you sprinkle, you pour, we immerse. This truth is much deeper than what we do in the baptismal waters. This truth is a spiritual truth and one that any denomination that is declaring that Jesus is Lord, we do not argue over the immersion of of us being immersed in the fullness of God at the moment of our salvation, clinging to him in faith. Now, with that in mind, it says that we've been immersed into Christ Jesus. That means we have been completely immersed, saturated by, into and around and inside by the full power of God. The entire redemptive plan of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is at work, and we are immersed in that. The fullness of God is at work inside and out. That's the power of this text. We have been baptized into Christ Jesus. How does this work? Well, he continues. That's the key. But how is it that we're baptized into Christ Jesus? It says you were baptized into his death. The way that we see this power of God is because we are immersed in the death of Jesus Christ. When he was nailed to the cross and he breathed his last, right before he breathed his last, he said, it is finished. The wages of sin is death. And when he said, it is finished, he meant the wages of those sins. He paid them in full, and his grace now echoes both ways through all of eternity. That we are baptized into his death, immersed, covered, saturated because of his work. Baptized into his death, immersed. Verse 4, we're not just dead. He says, we were buried, therefore, with him in the baptism of this death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. He says that we're immersed in the death of Jesus, but we're not just dead, we're buried. And here's the key with this. The burial process is the thing that shows the fullness of this death. We don't put somebody who's mostly dead in the grave. I know it's Halloween, but... We still don't do that. Well, he's about to die. He'll die soon enough, or he's, you know, almost there. We don't do that. There's a full death, and the burial is the picture of the completeness of this. We've been baptized in his death. We've been buried. All of the sin, shame, guilt, all of the weight of that is now in the grave. Try to collect a debt on that. And so he says, we've been baptized in his death. We've been buried in the baptism of death in order that just as Christ, Was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. I'm going to stop here for a second. It says that we've been raised. He doesn't leave us dead. We've been raised. Jesus was raised. How? By the glory of the Father. You're seeing the fullness of God play out on these pages. We've been immersed in into the work of Jesus, the glory, the power of God, the word glory here is a physical representation, a physical manifestation of the power of God. By the power of God the Father, he is working this through the work of Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection in the work of the Holy Spirit convicting and drawing. The fullness of God is at work in the redemptive plan here that we are immersed in. All of God's intensity is directed here by the glory of the Father. We were raised from the dead. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave this as a has-been. This has a future. What is the future? The future. We see it at the end of this passage. Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too might walk in the newness of life. That's the end game. We've died to the sin because of our baptism into Jesus or faith in him or the hands that we cling to the grace that he offers. And God promises to completely saturate and immerse inside and out every sin, shame, guilt, fear, failure, all of this God's working through. And we bury that. God buries it, but he raises you up to walk in a newness of life. The word newness here is something that is new of its own kind, hasn't existed before. Well, how does that work in our life? Here's kind of a picture of that that we might see in scripture. Before Solomon built the temple, when he built the new temple, it was spectacular. Had gold plating all over the walls and all of this glorious workmanship and craftsmanship and is built of heavy stones, many of which you can still see today. Here's the point. Before that, they had a temple kind of thing it was made of curtains a tabernacle that they would bring and they would move around but now they have something new there's something of great splendor and gloriousness and that's what jesus is referring to here this newness of life there's something all new about you this new life that god promises this shows us several things it shows us God's redemptive story, how God redeems what he has allowed. All of the sin that we suffer, the shame, the guilt, he has buried it and it is gone and now He has raised us with the power of God to walk in a newness of life. Here's two things that I wanna leave with you when we're looking at this text. The first, I wanna show you what this looks like when we do a physical baptism here on site because it paints a beautiful picture of what is spiritually taking place All right? So the first thing that we do, what we see, when we have a a water baptism, which I understand we're probably gonna have one next week, this is a physical symbol of a spiritual truth that has already happened. Like my wedding ring, this is a physical symbol of a spiritual union, a covenant that my wife and I had made before God. This is not my... Marriage. This is a symbol of it. So when we do the water baptism, God commands us to do that. He commands us to show and declare this, but it is a physical symbol that we can look back on and we can see these decisions play out. So here's what this looks like. When I have somebody comes in the water, I'm going to ask them a question. It can be any form of this. It can be something like, do you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life? Or have you put your faith exclusively in Jesus for your salvation? Any of those things that are defining that Jesus is now the savior of your life, he is Lord, he is the master. When the answer is yes, what that is declaring to everybody who's watching is that there is a moment of death that has happened. There is no hope, There is no some other God or good works or merit that I'm bringing. There is nothing that I have aside from God. And I'm putting my faith entirely in God. You see that there is a moment of death to self. There is nothing else that I have. Only God at this moment. That's the signal that there's been a death. All right, then, what we see in in Matthew, Jesus commands us to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. The fullness of God, remember here? the fullness of God is at work, so we see this death moment, and then if, if you 're watching, I, I will say i 'm baptizing you because of this response in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit." The fullness of God. You are being immersed in the full might of God's redemptive plan inside and out. That's what this is symbolizing, this burial that God is putting this down and the redemption of God is at work. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Are you holding your breath? Because I still have you underwater. I'll try to bring you up. The good news is, from a pastor's perspective, it's harder to get you underwater than it is to get up. So if that gives you encouragement, then then come, let's, let's do it, but I, we've got you underwater, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but then when I'm baptizing, you're gonna hear me say, raised to walk in a newness of life. God doesn't leave you buried. There's something new that has happened you have a new life and you're declaring that to everybody there. That's why we do part one of the reasons why we do the baptism the way that we do is that we see this death, burial, and resurrection raised to walk in a newness of life. It's a beautiful picture of the unity that God has given us with God. We are now one with God because of our faith in Jesus. We've been immersed in the full saturation effect of God's redemptive plan in the full weight and strength of the might of his righteousness Arm is delivering us from all of that. So I told you that I was going to to explain how this baptism looks in the water, but let me show you how this plays out in your daily life. This walking in the newness of life. What is that? How does that work? Well, let me show you this. Got an illustration here. This picture of water. This represents God, the fullness of God. We cannot put God in a container of any size. I understand that. And so this is just a representation. I'm doing my best to exhibit the full grace and strength and might of God. All of the, the mighty work, the power, the redemption, the glory, the peace, the, the mercy, the grace, everything. This is here. This is God. Now, this is you and I. This sponge, this is us. You've never looked so good. You've never been so thin, have you? You're no longer buckled in the middle. You're th- you look good. When I ask you in the hallway, how are you doing? You say, I'm doing great. Well, from your distance, you look fine. You don't see that there's a million holes in this thing. You don't see all of that. You, you're too far away. But yet you know that when you answer fine, there's still stuff in your life. There are holes and voids and fears and failures and sins. All of that is still there, whether you see it or not. This is you. The other truth about this sponge is that there are holes and voids in the middle of this that I cannot see. It's impossible for me to see it from the outside. God knows they're there, and you have the same thing. There may be something in your life that's so hidden that you feel disqualifies you, there is something there. God knows that it doesn't matter. It exists. There it is. This is you. Now, we know if this is you and this is the full working of God, this fullness of God, this baptism looks like this. We've come to the end of ourself and, and through our faith in Jesus Christ, this is we've been baptized into him, his death, burial, resurrection. Here's what this looks like. We are baptized, we are immersed into the fullness of God. You see this? We're completely saturated inside and out by the grace of God, his plans, his purposes, his glory, his peace, the unity with God. We're in the midst, he is all around and inside. This is what being baptized into Jesus Christ looks like, that we are completely immersed in the fullness of God. Now, we're raised to walk in a newness of life. What does that look like? You're holding your breath still. I've got you underwater. But you're in the hands of God, so you're okay. But here's where we go. When we're looking at this newness of life, watch what happens when I pull the sponge out. Remember all those holes and voids and things? Watch this. This is the newness of life. That your life and my life are dripping with the grace of God. All of those holes, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the weakness, all of that, those are the things that God works through. The things that you think disqualify you, whatever that may be, those are the very things that are dripping the grace of God. That the world sees and says, you have, you've made a mistake, you've messed up, you can't be used by God. It says God says, these are the very things that I use for my glory to be seen to a dry and thirsty world. When you walk in the newness of life, you're walking amongst people that are a thirsty, dry sponge. They're in a world that does not have a unity. They are, they are not content with life, they are struggling with fear and the sin, they need that and you know what you're able to do? you're able to give them a taste of the grace of God. Yes, I walked with you. I was an alcoholic. Yes, I walked with you. I did this or that. You know what? I don't have these skills. I felt like God couldn't use me either, but because I have been immersed through faith in Jesus, immersed completely in the power and the fullness of God's redemptive plan, buddy, let me tell you this, that God has redeemed me and he can redeem you too. We are now one with God. The fullness of God is in amongst around because we have been immersed through this baptism in him. We are one with God. Thereby, we are one with each other. This is a unifying effect for every believer. Whatever language you choose to use, whatever race or gender you may be, you are one with God because of his work on that cross. And because of this spiritual baptism through faith in Jesus, he plunges us to the depths of the might of God and brings us up to walk in the newness of life. That's the truth that God has laid before you this morning. You may have heard the story of my little girl and that, that, that concept of you, don't, you haven't offered enough, you don't have the degrees, you don't have the ability. I don't care what you bring to the table, whether it's sin in your past, present, or things you think you're gonna do in the future, God can redeem everything. And God will use even the weakest links of your life that you think God would never use that. Listen, that's where God's grace drips the fiercest. It's what God uses to bring other people to him. And he loves using those voids, those weaknesses that you have. And we don't run from him, we run to him. We plunge in him and God works a mighty work. Now there's one of two categories that are listening to me today. There may be somebody here today that that you're a dry sponge. You come to church, you do good things. I'm so grateful that you do but you haven't been immersed in the power of God. You absolutely haven't. You, you might have a few drops like this one from somebody else. You see how God has worked, but, but God hasn't done that in your life because you haven't surrendered to him You haven't allowed him to immerse you. You are still waiting and working out your own salvation. And God says that doesn't cut it. That doesn't bring a unity with God. Only God can. And today he brought you here online, in person. It doesn't make any difference. He brought you here so that you could say, Lord, I'm ready to be immersed in the full power of your redemptive story. I want to be used by you. I want to have a value that only you can give. I want to have a strength that only God can give. I want to be one with you. And today, you're gonna have an opportunity to do that. Pastor Mar and myself, we will be here. If you're present, we'd love to pray with you, but you don't need us, you need God. If you're online, the web host is willing to chat with you, but you don't need him either. You just need the Lord, but we're here to help you. Here's what you do. You come to the Lord in prayer and you just tell Him, I am a sinner separated from you. And if your heart truly believes that that the Lord has made this way for you, you just ask Him to forgive you of your sins and come in your life and immerse you in this grace. And that is the one prayer that God will always answer. There's a second category of people here. We're amongst a room full of believers. There may be somebody here today that, as I mentioned earlier, you wear the word worthless on your heart. There is sin deep inside of you. There's something that disqualifies you, fears, challenges, struggles. I don't know what that is. I don't know what your story is, but I do know this. The very things that you think disqualify you from the very might of God may be the very things that are the strongest ministry tools that you possess. Because it's God's grace that flows through them, not yours. And today, you need to lay down that burden. Whatever that is, that sin in your life, the, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, those feelings of worthlessness, God has something else to say. And you may need to do some time praying and saying, Lord, I'm gonna lay this before you and I'm gonna walk away from it. Because I am immersed in your grace and it's all about you, not me. I want you to please use me with strength, I am one with you, and I will acknowledge that today. If I can pray with you or Pastor Moore, we'll be happy to. We'll be down front. We're gonna give you a time of response here as we sing. Just do business with God. However he leads, wherever you are, it does not matter. God brought you here to remind you of the unity that baptism brings, the spiritual concept of how God immerses us in his redemptive power doesn't matter how small you are those are the ones that god uses for the biggest of things let's pray together and then let's begin to sing lord i pray that you work through us i pray over every life here whatever we have to do i pray that you convict us and allow us to get right with you lord and in jesus name we pray amen from everyone at South Cliff church thank you for joining us today If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com. To share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry, send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.